Well, good morning, Soul City Church. How are you doing today? Woo! Doing good? Thank you, I'm doing good. You doing good? I am really excited to be here. I'm really glad that you're here. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors. I'm Jeannie. I'm the other one. All right. That's all you... <laughs> that's all we're going to tell you at this point. Uh, we are so, so glad that you're here. We've been looking forward to this time uh, all week and so excited to kick off uh, this brand new teaching series. So uh, if you are here in person, you uh, not only made it through... This last week, where none of us thought we were going to make it, but now you're making it through this heat wave that we're going through today. So <laughs> for those of you Chicagoans who showed up in flip-flops, way to represent. Uh, if you're watching online, we're so glad that you were taking time to tune in. Uh, we really believe God has something for you to transform your life, ultimately in a relationship uh, with Him. We're kicking off this new teaching series called Just My Type, and Kelly mentioned it a minute ago. We're exploring how we can be more of who God created us to be so that we can love others more out of who God created them to be. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to dive in deep to your favorite subject, you. We're going to talk all about you. No, really. I mean, I think it's going to have record attendance over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be talking all about you. And we're going to take next steps outside of Sunday to grow and better understand who God created us to be so that we can love others out of who God created them to be. You know, we have a mission here at Soul City Church, you've heard us maybe say it before, that we want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. But we also believe that you cannot be spiritually transformed without being relationally transformed. Mm -hmm. That the two actually go together. As you are being spiritually transformed, it should be transforming your relationships and those that you care about in our Lives. In fact, your relationship is one of the signposts, the evidence of real transformation in your life. You simply cannot be in a thriving, transforming relationship with Jesus and have a slew of broken and unhealthy relationships all around you. The two work hand in hand. And so we're going to dive in deep together over the next couple of weeks to see how those work together. And I don't know about you, but I can tell when I'm thriving in my relationship with God as I look at my relationships with other people. There is a direct correlation. Most specifically, I can see it in my relationship with Jared. I can tell when we're connected. I can tell when there's a quality of patience and graciousness between us. I can tell when we are quick to forgive one another, when we're quick to take ownership for the areas where we have maybe hurt one another or you know, just kind of uh, forgotten one another. And I can always trace that back to me thriving in my relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's a direct correlation to my relationship with other people. The opposite is also true. When I'm not growing in my relationship with Jesus, when I'm stagnant, when I'm not paying attention to it, when I am not trying to cultivate a thriving, transforming relationship with Jesus, I can tell in my relationships with others. Mm. I can most especially tell in my relationship with Jarrett. When I wish that Jarrett would do things more like I do things, which is the right way, oh. you know, I, I can tell, right? When, when little quirks or tendencies uh, just tend to bug me and they don't always bug me, you know, like I, I, I notice like some of the things that used to be cute and things that I thought, oh, that's so sweet about him, that little idiosyncrasy. And then if I'm not thriving in my relationship with Jesus, those little idiosyncrasies, they bug me. I, I don't know what it is. Where like, are we going with this, Judy? <laughs> well, I'll give you an example. So when I first... <laughs> 
I have a few. I'll just give you one. Um, when I first met Jarrett, I noticed that when he sneezes, he sneezes in threes. I don't right. know what it is about him. It's like, hachu, hachu, hachu. And he just sneezes in threes. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? He sneezes in threes. And I don't know what it is. But when we are not doing well, and when we're like kind of working something out, or we're in a fight, or we're disagreeing about something, and then he goes and sneezes, and then he sneezes again and again, there is something about those sneezes, friends. I, I, I just, I lose my mind. Jeannie, I just, I, don't, I, I just feel like I need to interrupt here just for the <laughs> fair and balanced representation here. Uh, you know that three is actually a holy number in the Bible. <laughs> And some things just come out of us that are in us. They just come out that way. So I just, you might want to rethink or re Anyway, go on. Yeah. That's good. The, the point notes. is this. I can trace my quality of relationship with God back to my quality of relationship with other people. It shows up. It is evident in my life. And that is because a transforming relationship with Jesus, it transforms my relationships with other people. That's right. You can probably see this in your own relationships. You can probably see this in your marriage, or you can see this in friendships. You can see this in the relationship with your kids. If you have kids, you can see this maybe with coworkers. Every one of us, I believe, longs to have people that we feel close to, and they feel close to us. We want to experience connection and intimacy, don't we? We all desire that in our relationships, and yet we often fail to recognize that when we aren't having that connection, it's often we that get in the way. And our tendency, our tendency, I don't know if you're like me, is to blame everybody else. It's somebody else's fault as to why we're not connected. It's just they're like that, or this is why, you know, we're having a hard time connecting with one another because they always do that. But the most common way that we get in the way is that we fail to know who we truly are. We fail to know who we truly are, and when we don't know who we really are, it's hard to know who God made other people to be. Maybe a better way of saying this is knowing who God made you to be frees you to love who God made others to be. That's good. When you really know who God made you to be, it will set you free to love other people the way that God made them to be. And that's what we're going to be diving into over the next couple of weeks. And to help us kick that off today, what we want to do is look at a story in the Bible that might be familiar to you, but we're going to look at it through a different lens today, at the differences and distinctives of how God has created us. So I want you to grab a Bible and open to Luke chapter 10, all right? Luke chapter 10. If you brought a Bible with you, fantastic. If you got it on your phone, we'll mark you down uh, for extra credit for that. But if not, can you grab a Soul City Bible right into your seat? Grab a pen. We're going to be marking it up, taking some notes today. And in the Soul City Bible, you can turn to page 8. 43. Page 843 in the Soul City Bible will get you to Luke chapter 10. Now, let me give you a little context to where we're coming at in this story. This is a story of two sisters named Mary and Martha. Anyone ever heard that story before? Mary and Martha. And they have an interaction with Jesus. Now, uh, some context. If you know anything about the life and ministry of Jesus, he had 12 close disciples, later became the apostles that started the first church. Those 12 disciples happen to all be men, but that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have female followers in his crew. In fact, two of his most faithful followers and two of his closest friends were two women, these sisters, named Mary and Martha. They 
were like a second family to Jesus. He loved them. They loved him and their brother Lazarus as well. And there are multiple times where Jesus has interactions with them throughout the Gospels. This is one of those. Jesus is coming through the town of Bethany, their hometown, and he actually gets invited in for an experience, a meal with Mary and Martha. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where the woman named, now real quick, I'm going to pause. And when I pause, you say the next word back to me. That's how we do it around here. Makes sense. So when I pause, you say the next word back to me. So uh, Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha. Martha. It's really important to see where the story starts. Martha opened her home to him. Okay, so just real quick, who's home is this story about to take place in? Who's the one that extended the invitation and gets the attention in this verse in the story? Anyone want to guess who it was? Martha. It's Martha. It actually starts with Martha. She opened up her home to Jesus, an incredible act of hospitality and generosity. She takes the initiative to invite Jesus in, but she's not the only character in the story. Verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary. Mary. All right. So it's Martha and Mary. And Mary actually, the text says, sat at the Lord Jesus, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Now, this is really important because you're about to see two different postures. Mary takes a posture of a student, of a learner, a disciple. And you think about it. This is the Jesus who would draw thousands and thousands of people. He'd show up to teach mobs of people would come out. This same Jesus is in your living room. That's a pretty significant moment. So Mary's like, I'm going to soak this in for all I got. And she is just there sitting, listening, taking in every word he has to say. She doesn't feel the need to be anywhere else. She's not in a rush. She's not in a hurry. She's doing exactly what she needs to do in that moment. But that's not what Martha's doing. Look at verse 40. But it says, Martha was what? Martha was? Distracted. Distracted. Oh boy, how often do we get distracted? Mm. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, that's really important, that had to be made. So she's all revved up, trying to get everything ready. Oh, we got Jesus here. And, oh, are these disciples coming in too? And you know, she's kind of getting everything ready and getting the table set and getting the meal prepped and kind of getting everything ready. And then she notices Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus and she's starting to get a little upset. She started to get a little frustrated. She's getting a little revved up. So look what she does. I want to applaud and commend the courage and faith of Martha in this moment. Because I don't know that I would say this to Jesus. She says, Lord, I love this. This is right in front of Mary. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Passive aggressive much, Martha? All right. So, Lord, don't you care that she's left me to do this work by myself? Look what she says. Tell her to help me. Now, I love this because Mary's like right there and she's like, tell her to help me. Martha, don't play, right? We are in Martha's house and in Martha's house, it's Martha's rules. And we set the table and we do the chores and we get everything set before we sit down and listen to how we ought to love one another from Jesus. There is things we have to do to get ready for this moment. And she is so upset because ultimately what's going on here is Mary doesn't see things the way she does. Mary doesn't value the things that Martha does, doesn't do the things that Martha does. And so what is she trying to do here in this moment? She's trying to make Jesus make Mary more like Martha. Did you get that? She's trying to make Jesus make Mary more like 
Martha. And I know none of us have ever done that with God before. <laughs> this is just an isolated story in the Bible that has no context in our everyday lives. Of course we all do this. All of us have prayed Martha prayers before. If you've ever prayed for someone, that's a, uh, we'll call them a challenge for you in your life. Maybe someone in your family, maybe someone at work, right? If you ever prayed for someone who's just on your last nerve, right? Someone that's really hard for you to love, you've probably prayed a Martha prayer. And how do Martha prayers go? They usually start with, oh, Jesus, Lord, Savior, good and gracious, loving God. Fix them. That's basically a Martha prayer. <laughs> Fix them. Fix them. In other words, make them more like me. Make them see it my way. Make them do it my way. Because clearly my way is the right way. Jesus, fix them. Make them more like me. I love how Jesus responds. Verse 41, look at this. He goes, oh, he just kind of revs it down. Martha, Martha. No judgment, no condemnation. Watch what he does. It's masterful, actually. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Now, I just need to pause here. I just need to pause here because I want to be really clear about something. Only Jesus can get away with doing this, okay? <laughs> like next time you're in an argument or you're in a fight with someone and things are all revved up, like it does not help for me to go, Jeannie, Jeannie, you are upset about many things. <laughs> Only Jesus can do that. You cannot. Only Jesus can you do cannot. That. I've, heard, I've learned the hard way. You cannot do that. Now, what is Jesus doing here? He's not belittling her. All he's doing is holding a mirror up. He's just holding a mirror up. He's reflecting back to her what she's doing, what she's valued, what she's going after in that moment. And this Jesus goes on in verse 42. He says, few things are needed. See, she, she was distracted by all that had to be done. She says, you know what? There's, not, there's nothing you have to worry about that has to get done. In fact, there's really only about one thing. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus redirects Martha to what matters most, his presence. Mm -hmm. He just redirects her to his presence, what Jeannie taught us last week. While Martha was preoccupied, Mary was present. She just chose to be present with Jesus. Now, this is a fairly famous story. My hunch is if you've been around church or the Bible for a while, you've heard this story before. And I think it's worth noting that oftentimes when we hear the story or teach the story or whatever, we tend to actually get the story wrong. We tend to miss a major part of the story because it's far too easy to minimize Martha. That's what we like to do. We like to minimize Martha, why do we do that? Because we have binary brains. We like to think in terms of good and bad, right and wrong, hero and villain, right? And so you hear the story and you see the interaction she has with Jesus. You go, oh, I get it. Martha was wrong. Mary was right. And so the moral of the story is be more like Mary, be less like Martha, right? That's easy to just kind of approach the story in that sort of simplistic framework. I just think that's too simple a take on the story. I think there's a whole lot more here going on in this story. Now, Jesus is making a point. His primary point is that he is the point. That's his point. I'm the point. Uh, it's me. Like all the things you're doing to set everything up for me, thank you, Martha, but it, I'm the point, right? That is his primary point. But I also think what we can get from what's going on here in this moment is just is how we come to Jesus, or rather more specifically, how differently each of us comes to Jesus. Again, Mary and Martha we're simply wired differently. They're just wired 
differently. They saw Jesus, they saw themselves, they saw others, they saw the world through a different set of lenses. While they were sisters who grew up in the same home, and now they're literally sisters in the same home with the same Jesus in that room, they both approached him very, very, very differently because they are different. They're created and actually wired differently. And I think it's so easy when we minimize this story to miss that reality is that they are simply just wired differently. And I think it's so easy when we minimize our relationships to miss that we are actually wired and created differently. And those differences, those distinctions are actually a gift given to us by God. As simple as that may sound, I think the implications are profound. And I think that most of us are familiar with the differences that exist between us, right? I'll point out just a few differences that are pretty easy to note. How many of you would say you're an extrovert in this room? You're an extrovert, yeah. And how many of you would say you're an introvert? Right? These are <laughs> That took these a lot for the introverts to raise their hands. Thank you. That was Good a big job, step. Introverts. introverts, I just want to Good honor job. you. I am with you. Step. I am also yes. an introvert, yes. uh, so I understand. Yes, how many of you would say you're a morning person? You prefer the morning? How many of you would say you're a night owl? Let's do this. Yeah, so you can see, you can see the differences, right? All right, uh, here, here's one. How many of you would say you're a Patriots fan? <laughs> Any Rams fans? Two. Okay, let's, let's get clear here. We're all Bears fans, correct? Right? All right, yeah, okay. This is where we are united. That's this right. is where we That's are right. united and we are not different. But what we want to walk through over the next few moments and really over the next few Sundays is not just these on-the-surface differences. We want to dive deeper into a distinction that actually is a part of your divine design. A part of how God made each of us to be that is distinct, that is different, that is actually a part of your divine design. And our simple hope is this over the next couple of weeks, that you will be able to know and love God, you'll be able to know and love yourself, and you will be able to know and love others in a deep, profound, and practical way. Maybe like never before in your life. And what we want to introduce you to is a tool for transformation. It's called the Enneagram. How many of you have ever heard of the Enneagram? Show of hands in the room. Yeah. It is a great tool, and I can honestly say that this tool has been one of the primary tools uh, that has helped me in my different relationships. Uh, it has been a tool that has helped Jarrett and I in our marriage. We have been together for about 25, 25 years. years. 25 years. And awesome. we didn't have the Enneagram when we first met. Uh, we didn't discover it until about five years into our relationship. And we've been using this tool for the last two decades in our lives. And I can say this tool for transformation has been such a gift. It has been such an incredible um, tool that God has used to help us forge a stronger, more transforming relationship with one another. And I, I don't just say that for our marriage. I would say that for any relationship. 
The Enneagram has been a gift in my friendships. It's been a, a gift in my relationships with my family. It's been a gift in my relationships with my coworkers here at Soul City. Mm -hmm. uh, every single one of us here on the staff uses the Enneagram. There is probably not a day that goes by in the week where we don't talk about in some way, shape, or form the Enneagram. It has been such a gift for us better understanding ourselves and better understanding one another. So what's the big deal with the Enneagram? Let me explain to you what the Enneagram even is. So it's a tool and it dates all the way back to the fourth century. So it has been around for quite time. some time. It's not exclusively Christian, although many trace its roots back to people of faith. It's traced back to the early desert fathers. And what I love about the Enneagram is it's not just a personality assessment. Many of you may be familiar with things like Myers-Briggs or, or the DISC, and, and those have their place. But what I love about the Enneagram is that it is a tool for transformation. It's not to box you in. Mm -hmm. It is actually to help you continue to expand more and more into who God created you to be. Now, the Enneagram helps us identify that there are basically nine different approaches to life. So every one of us has one. Uh, and some of you, as we walk through these nine different approaches, you will be able to spot your type right away. You'll be able to identify and say, oh gosh, that is so me. But oftentimes with the Enneagram, the temptation is to spot other people <laughs> before you spot yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know how many of you have ever been on an airplane before where the flight attendant says, before we take off in the case of emergency, uh, you should put your oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on someone else. The same is true with the Enneagram. You should spot these tendencies in yourself before you start elbowing the person next to you <laughs> saying, this is so you, you need help, okay? That, it's not helpful. That's not, it's not helpful. helpful. That's right. not helpful. Right. Uh, I should also say that while there are nine types, uh, there is not a hierarchy to the numbers. And so it doesn't mean that because nine is a greater number that it's better than one. There is no hierarchy to the numbers, although sevens do believe they are the best number. Um, clearly, there's some seven here today. <laughs> so what we want to do is dive into this incredibly transformational practical tool. Here's what I want to make sure you have a pen, and I want to make sure that you pay attention. We are doing a 30,000-foot Passover. We've had folks after each service, as we've described these, come up to us and said, that's not totally who I am. I know. I get it. Send your emails to Stevens at soulcitychurch.com. She'd love to respond to every one of those. This is just a flyby. But what we want you to do over the next few moments is to pay attention. And if you hear it and go, oh, that feels like me, then just flag it. Pay attention to that, all right? If you don't already know what your number is. So we're going to start with the one on the Enneagram. Type one is known as the perfectionist or the reformer. Perfectionists uh, or performers are what the type one is often referred to. Uh, they really, really value uh, principle. They have lived purposeful uh, lives. Uh, it's how they kind of approach everything. They value integrity that really matters to them. The insides match the outsides, and they really kind of hope and expect everyone else to value the same. They can tend to see things, not always, but tend to see things in kind of black and white. Justice is a pretty big deal uh, for ones because they see things as right and wrong. And they also, ones can also house an underlying anger in them. Lots of times it's hard for them to spot at first, but there's an underlying anger in them towards anyone else who doesn't do it the right way. That can kind of well up within them. 
Uh, they love systems. They love routines. They're often sort of disciplined type people. And the basic need for the one is to, for things to be perfect, not in an obsessive sense, but they just want things to be in order to be perfect. The second type is actually type two, and they are known as the giver, or they're known as the helper. Uh, in many ways, as I think to the story that we just looked at, I see qualities in the life of Mary that actually look like a two. Twos love to give, actually. Uh, they're great listeners. Uh, they can be generous. Uh, they're people-pleasing at time, um, and oftentimes they give for altruistic reasons, but sometimes they give in a subconscious motivation in order to receive in return. Now, twos, when they enter the room, you can always tell when a two enters the room because they automatically turn to others and they begin to ask, how are you doing? Is there any way that I can help? What do you most need. That's an easy way to spot a two. Their motivation is to build relationships by sensing and meeting the needs of others. So the basic need of the two is to be needed. Yep. So that's the two. Uh, then there's type three, which is often referred to as the achiever. And the achiever, I mean, just you can kind of see in that title alone, uh, they really are driven to win. You can count on threes to get things done. They are going to accomplish it. You tell them the goal, and they are not only going to reach it, they're going to smash it. They desire to be the very best uh, version of themselves, or at least appear to be the very best version of themselves. Uh, they love to get gold stars and medals. Like you kind of tell them what it is, they're going to go after and get it. And some threes, lots of threes, like to display uh, those medals so that you uh, can see what they've accomplished. Uh, they're incredibly adaptable. Threes are incredibly adaptable in social settings and circumstances to kind of find what they need to know, who they need to know, what they need to do to accomplish whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. And that's a pretty incredible power that threes actually have. Um, three's basic need, if you were to boil it down, is to succeed. They want to do well, no matter what. The next number that is represented is the Enneagram Type 4, which uh, we have the unicorn here, and they are known as the individualist. That's what the four is, and fours are expressive, they're dramatic, at times they can be self-absorbed, even temperamental, and fours are complex, and they like it that way. They like to be the kind of person that you can't totally figure out. Uh, fours uh, believe that something is missing in their lives, and they won't be okay until they find it. Uh, fours tend to be comfortable with being melancholy, uh, and they often can find energy in what is broken and what is tragic. Um, one of the things that I love most about fours is that fours are really um, one of the only numbers on the Enneagram that can actually bear witness to pain in somebody else's life and not have to fix it. Fours have a way of being able to hold spiritual space with another person, and they don't have a need to fix that in another person. They really value authenticity, uh, and they naturally elicit more depth in their encounters with others. The deep need of the four is to be special and to be unique. All right, then there's the type five, which we have represented with the brain here. Fives are often called the investigator. Right, or the learner. They are incredibly perceptive. 
They're always learning. They're always taking in data points, consuming knowledge. Uh, fives tend to know a lot about a lot, right? They're just constantly connecting dots and bringing in uh, knowledge. Uh, a five is definitely someone you want on your trivia team. If you are uh, <laughs> about to go up against another tough team, you definitely want a five on your team. Uh, but their love of knowledge and of understanding uh, can oftentimes lead them to be uh, somewhat isolated. They can kind of get lost in their head and their thoughts and be socially isolated or even at times uh, secretive. Fives can have a really hard time identifying and expressing uh, their authentic emotions. It's a lots of times a lot of work for a five to move from their head, which is home, to their heart and begin to live out of that space. If there's a basic need for a five, uh, it is to understand. They just want to understand uh, this world and all its complexities. The next type is known as type six, and they are called the loyalist. And you can see the telescope here. And part of the reason uh, is because sixes tend to have uh, a lot of thoughts about the future. And those thoughts are often concerns or worries or anxiety. Uh, I think that perhaps the story that we just read, Martha may have been a six because she wanted to have everything just right in that moment. And sixes, uh, they can tend to look out at the world and they can only see the threats that are in the world. Or oftentimes they'll look at other people and they will see the hidden agenda or the hidden agenda that they perceive in another person. Uh, one of the great things about sixes, though, is that sixes always have a plan. Sixes always have a plan. And so I always love to have a six in my life for the worst case scenario happening in my life because they have a plan to get me out of that worst case scenario. Uh, they really do have a sense about really being able to put together order and they really appreciate rules and uh, plans and, and sometimes even law. They don't want or need to be the star necessarily. They simply want to do their part and they want everybody else to do their part. One of the things that's so great about sixes is they are often the glue. They can be the glue in an organization. They can be the glue in a family. Uh, and one of the things about the six is that their basic need is to feel secure. All right. Then there's the sevens, which we have over here with the fireworks. Sevens are often called the enthusiast. Uh, sevens are future thinking people, spontaneous lots of times, always up for a great experience, consumers of life. They just want to like suck and soak everything out of life, every possible experience. They tend to be optimistic and obsessed with options, right? So everything's possible, everything's positive, but they want to have as many options out in front of them as possible. Sevens can have a hard time saying no to a good thing or to a second slice or to a third scoop of ice cream because they just want, they're so caught up in this moment and experiencing all of it. In fact, sevens are the reason the term FOMO was created. It basically defines who they are. Uh, because of this, because sevens are so positive and possible and out in the future, uh, really what they're oftentimes doing is avoiding pain and difficulty. One of the ways they avoid what is here now that is painful and difficult is by just thinking about a possible positive future. They can tend to get bored with difficult or uninteresting tasks. Lots of times you'll find sevens have lots of different things that they're working on, lots of new skills that they're developing in their life, but very few of them that actually find their way to fruition. 
And because of that, at times, they can seem a little aloof, a little kind of up in their head and off in the distance. Their basic need, as I already said, is to avoid pain at all costs. The next type is the type eight, and they are known as the challenger. You can see the challenger represented here with the superhero cape. Eights are natural leaders. Eights are probably the most natural born leaders. Uh, they're independent thinkers who tend to see everything in extremes. Eights really are extreme about everything. They're intense about everything. So if something is really, really good, it's really, really good. If something is really bad, it's really, really bad. They can live in those extremes. Uh, anger, anger is the emotion of choice for an eight. But the interesting thing about how eights experience anger is it's kind of like a bomb that goes off and then it just fizzles out. Um, their anger kind of pops and then it goes away. Uh, they have more energy than any of the other numbers, um, and they are really willing to give that energy towards things that they believe in. Uh, eights have a strong justice bent. Uh, they see injustice in the world. And the interesting thing about eights is that when they see an injustice, they believe that God put them on the earth to fix that injustice. <laughs> uh, so they can get a little lopsided with that. And the basic need of the eight is they want to be in control. That's right. And the last one uh, of the Enneagram types is nine, which is the peacemaker. And the name kind of says it all. Uh, peacemakers really, really, really seek and value harmony. They just want harmony at all costs, sometimes even their own wants, needs, or desires. Uh, they don't tend to be typically out front or assertive type personalities. Uh, if there's drama going on, they're rarely the source, but they're often working to resolve it as much as possible. Uh, they like to keep kind of the status quo. They, they don't like to rock the boat or do anything that uh, may kind of mess things up. And because of that, sometimes nines can avoid risk uh, or, or anything that might change things as they are. Uh, sometimes because of their deep desire for things to be at peace, for things to be calm, for, uh, they, they can actually get, um, suffer stagnancy. Uh, they can get kind of stuck in life or even it looks like at times like complacency uh, because of that. One great thing about the nines to know is that nines make great roommates. Uh, if you're looking for a roommate, make sure they're a nine. No drama in the house other than you, all right? So that is, that's a good thing to know about the nines. Their basic need is for harmony. They want harmony at all costs. And so those are the nine different types of the Enneagram. All of us are one of those types. You identify with one of those types. Now, over the last few moments, as we've been talking about this, if you had the thought, I don't even understand why they're doing this. This seems really silly and really stupid. Most likely, you are a four. Um, it's just, I mean, just uh, you, you are an individualist, and you really don't see any need for all of us doing this together. Um, so every one of us identifies with one of those types. Now, Jared is a type seven, and I am a type eight. And while we did not know this when we first got together, I really wish we did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really wish we would have understood this about ourselves because I believe this could have saved us from a lot of really um, trying and difficult arguments or conversations. Uh, heated conversations. Fights. Mm -hmm. um, 
it would have been helpful. And the seven, eight combo, uh, we believe is That's a fun, fun. combo. Uh, at least we have found it to be. Our combo, we both have a lot of energy. Uh, we're up for adventure, we're up for fun. Uh, both sevens and eights tend to be very passionate, uh, passionate about the future, and so they look at uh, what could be possible. But how we approach life is so different. The way that Jared approaches life is so different than the way that I approach life. Jared, I can tell the way that he approaches life is because he comes at life through his head. He comes at life through his thoughts. And I, over the years, I said we've been together for 25 years now, I can tell when he is up in his head about something. I call it his mind palace. And he just kind of goes up into that mind palace and I can tell he's processing things, he's thinking about stuff, he's like mulling things over in his mind and going over it in his head. And, and I know eventually, maybe he'll come out of the mind yeah. palace and share those thoughts with me. But They're gonna he, be awesome, whatever they are, they'll be awesome. I they will be awesome. That. But I know that he approaches life through his head. I approach life entirely differently. I approach life through my gut. I feel all of life in my gut. And so when something is amazing, I feel it in my body. When something is really hard, I literally feel it in my body. Um, and so I experience all of life through my gut. And so you can only imagine somebody that experiences life in her gut and somebody that experiences life in their head it's quite a dynamic, right? And so we have had to learn how to do this dance over the years. Jared comes at life so differently than I do. Yeah, I tend to approach our life and our family, our marriage, our church through the lens of uh, positivity, possibility. You know, that's kind of where my basic framework is, is, man, it's going to be on the other side of this. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be so awesome. So that's kind of where I start uh, really approaching all of life. Yeah, so Jared is on the other side of the mountain. I see us on the mountain that needs to be climbed. And so I see the challenge in front of us. He sees the challenge already accomplished, right? And so you can only imagine how that dynamic plays out in our marriage, right? I, I like to um, approach challenges head on, Jared tends to approach the challenges differently. I just don't want to approach them at all. I just, uh, I mean, if, it's, if you want to call that different, um, I just, because, you know, again, a part of my basic drive is to avoid pain at all costs. And so that, as you can imagine, only makes fighting that much more fun yes. uh, for us. Uh, you know, take something, take something like um, vacation planning. We go about something as simple as that. We just go about it very, very differently. As a seven, I love planning vacations. I'm constantly planning a vacation in my mind. I've got, I'm looking at awesome places for us to go, and this is such a cool vibe. We've never been here before, and I'm, you know, I've got looking up all these different places that have the coolest restaurants and the coolest coffee shops, and then I'm looking for the best deal. I've got like 50 tabs open on my computer screen, but I have yet to hit submit on any of them for like five weeks. Weeks, uh, because I just want to keep all my options, my awesome options, open. I approach it entirely differently. I hit submit, and then we figure it out when we get there, right? And so we totally approach this very differently, even our relationship with God. Yeah, we I approach it differently. I tend to, when it comes to connecting with God, what, 
where I feel most connected to God is through my senses and through experiences. That really matters to me. Environment really matters to me. So if I'm in a, a deep or meaningful place or if I can feel and express uh, my emotions to God, that's where I most feel connected to God. And I, on the other hand, appreciate intense experiences. And so I'm the kind of person that will be up for a 21-day fast and I'll be like, no, let's make it 40, right? And so I'm the kind of person that actually really connects to God through walking through challenges with God. That is how I connect very deeply with God, is actually walking through challenging things with God. Yeah, and the point is just simply this. This is what we've been saying this whole time together, that we're different. I mean, obviously. But understanding our distinctives and our differences really helps, Mm -hmm. really matters. And actually then beginning to see them as God designed, as the way that God has actually wired us. I can't tell you how many times in our relationship specifically, I could tell you about others, but I'll just talk about with my relationship with Jeannie, where I've had the thought where we're in the middle of facing a challenge together or we've gotten into a fight or we just don't see eye to eye on something, where my first thought about her is, I just wish you were more like me. Mm. I just wish you saw this my way. Because ultimately what I'm saying is my way is the right way, right? So I just, if you could just see this like me, then we wouldn't have this problem. We just coast through life. Another way of saying that, a friend of ours, John Orberg, puts it this way. He says it this way, I'd like you more if you were more like me. You ever found yourself feeling that way towards someone? You know, I'd like you a whole lot more if you were more like me. We'd all get along great if everyone could be just like me. And I think that's a really dangerous thing for us to go about the world Mm -hmm. doing. I think if we're not honest about it, it's a very self-centered way of approaching Mm -hmm. the world. Is that God made a mistake in designing and creating all of us Mm -hmm. because he didn't make all of us like me. And that's so often where we miss each other, is when I'm looking for her to look like me, rather than looking for the distinct reflection of God that it's in her, looking for that, recognizing that, thanking God for that. Mm. When she's authentically who she is, who God created her to be, and I'm doing the best I can to be authentically who God created me to be, we are so much better. Mm -hmm. We are so much better together. The same is true of all of our relationships with each other. So rather than kind of going like about life, going, God, I'd like you more if you were more like me. What if you were to take on a different framework this week? What if you were to take on the framework of this? I like you more when I see you more like him. Mm. I like you so much more when I see that you're more like him. That I don't have to go looking for myself in you for you to look like me. I want to find how God uniquely designed and created you. Because when I find that, I get a glimpse I get a glimmer of God. I get to appreciate God's unique design in you. When I begin to get that, that that's what's really going on here, is our differences are just distinctives designed by God. Man, that totally changes the framework. Man, I can bless that, honor that, and we actually can grow together because of those differences. And isn't it amazing when you can see in one another the character of God? when you can start to to see it and notice it. Because here's what I, I have come to learn. Every one of us, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you are the life of the party or you are a wallflower, uh, whether you're a thinker or you're a feeler, whatever number you find yourself connecting to here on the Enneagram, every one of us is made for connection. Yeah. 
Every one of us is made for connection. We are made to connect with God. We're made to connect with ourselves. And we are made to connect with one another. And what's amazing is that in our connections with one another, we actually have the holy and humbly, humbling privilege of reflecting God to one another. When you think about that, it's quite powerful to comprehend. And that is because God made people to be a reflection of him, not of you. God made people to be a reflection of him, not of you. And what's so amazing about these nine different types on the Enneagram is we get to get a picture of God. And this is what I have loved. You know, when I, I think about it, I think about my friends that are ones and the, and the people in my life that, that identify as a type one on the Enneagram. Do you know what they do? They give me a picture of God's goodness. I get to experience the goodness of God. I think about my friend, Nicole. Nicole is a one and she reveals to me regularly the goodness of God. I experience that in our friendship. I think about my friends that are twos, and what they do is they reveal to me the love of God. I think about the different people that God has placed in my life over the years that are twos. I think about my friend Amy. I think about my friend Jim. These people, they reveal to me the love of God. I think about my friends that are threes, and what I love about my friends that are threes is they show me the effectiveness of God that God is a capable God. I think about my friends like, like Sarah or my friend Mark. They show me and they reveal to me how effective God actually is. I think about my friends that are fours and what I love about the fours is they reveal to me the creativity of God that God cannot be boxed in. I think about this with my friend Jeannie and I think about this with my friend Juliet. They reveal to me regularly how creative our God actually is. I think about my friends that are fives and I love that they reveal to me the wisdom of God. They show me that God is so wise, that God is all-knowing. I think about my friend Sean. He regularly reveals to me the knowledge and the wisdom of God. I think about the sixes in my life, and I'm so grateful for the different sixes that God has put inside of my life. And I think regularly they reveal to me the faithfulness of God. My friend Lizzie, my friend, my friend Rick, they show me that God is loyal. God is faithful. I think about my friends that are sevens, and obviously I have the joy and the privilege of being married to one, but one of my dear friends, Patrick, he is a seven, and I love what Patrick does in my life. He reveals to me the joy of God. He reveals to me that we are invited into celebration. He does that for me because I see God inside of him. I think about different friends that are eights. My friend Kelly is an eight, and what she does is she regularly reminds me, just as I look into her life, of the power of God. God is all-powerful. He cannot be stopped. He sees mountains, and he sees those mountains moved. And I think about my friends that are nines. They reveal to me the peace of God. I think about my friend Jenny. She is the most peaceful friend that I have. And regularly, she reveals to me the 
quality and the characteristic of God, that God is a God, that his peace passes all understanding. She brings that into my life. And that's what's amazing about the Enneagram is God actually reveals himself to us through one another. And we spend so much time wanting to change one another. And yet God reveals his character to us through one another. So here's what we want you to do. We're done here. We're going to wrap up. But we want you to actually dive deeper this next week. And so there are two resources that we want to set you up on for your homework this week. So we love giving out homework. And really, this message requires you to do a little homework on your end, to dive in deeper. And so what I want you to do is get out your phone to take a picture of the books that I'm going to put on the screen. Because I was going to tell you that we have them for sale in the store, but we sold out this morning. So many folks in our church bought them, which is awesome that our church wants to grow like this. So there's two books. They're going to pop them up on the screen real quick. Uh, The first is called The Road Back to You. Uh, That is an awesome book that kind of talks through the Enneagram, breaks it all down. If you're new to it, great book. If you've not read this one yet, fantastic book. And then there's another book called The Path Between Us, which is what Gina and I talked about today, how we relate to each other through the lens of the the Enneagram. This is a really cool moment because it feels like you're all taking a picture of me. (laughs) So I'm just going to soak all that in and just pretend that everyone is just like paparazzi. Uh, So the... the, And actually, Jared, I want to interrupt you for a moment. They actually said that if you want to purchase the books, you can pre-order them at the bookstore today and they'll have them for you next week. That's awesome. We can do that. I forgot to tell you that before the message. Thank you for remembering now. And if you buy them both at the bookstore, it's actually cheaper if you do it that way. So if you want to swing by the store, you can do that or you can order them online. There's an assessment that comes with the road back to you that you can take online. I want to strongly encourage you to do that this week so that when we come back together next week, we will all be further down the road of better understanding who God made us to be so that we can better love uh, those in our lives. Let's stand and close together in prayer right now. Would you stand and join me in prayer? We take a posture of open-handedness when we pray, so I want to pray with you and for you towards that end. So let's join together in prayer. Jesus, thank you that you, as you were in that story, you were the point of it all. This is just a tool. We don't put our faith in the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. We don't put our faith in things of this world. We put our faith in you. But God, thank you that you left us glimpses of yourself in each other. Mm -hmm. God, how is Jesus so right? We just try and change that or mar that in others. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive me. Would you help us honor each other? to honor you by honoring each other, mm-hmm. to look for those divine distinctives, to thank maybe people in our lives, whether it's a spouse, or whether it's kids or family or coworkers, to literally this week thank them. Thank you for this attribute. Mm-hmm. You remind me of God. God, thank you for the gift that we get to bring to each other when we do this kind of work. And Holy Spirit, we can't do it without you. We need you more than we know. And so Holy Spirit, would you come now and encourage us to dive into the deeper waters of your river with you. And God, would you grow our church as you move us forward, God? We, we don't want to be the kind of folks that talk about transformation but then have a mess of bad relationships in our lives. We want the proof to be in the pudding. We want there to be evidence of transformation in our everyday lives. And so God, would you make that so of a of me, of those gathered here today. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the church. And God, I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Amen. Hey, we love you, Soul City. And if there's anything going on in your life that we can pray for you today, I would encourage you to stop over at the prayer hall, which is here in the second floor lobby. And until we are back together again next week, we pray that God would wreck your life and your relationships with his love and grace. We love you. We'll love see you, you. next see you, week. Soul City.